0: to the show, everybody. Thank you for joining. Thank you for clicking. Thank you for listening wherever you are listening. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, MySpace, uh, the Facebook, wherever you're listening to this. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, it, it, it means more than you know. I hope everyone is having a wonderful Friday. I myself, I'm having a wonderful Friday so far. I woke up. And I had a bowl of oatmeal. You can't get much better than that. I mean, look, uh, oatmeal always it, it always makes me feel energized and ready to start the day. And I mean, if I have too much for breakfast, I, I feel sort of sort of fatigued and I feel sort of slowed down. I think one packet of oatmeal, like instant oatmeal, just throw some peanut butter in there, chia seed, you know, whatever you'd like. And then you're just energized and ready to start the day, like I said. I mean, it's it's really phenomenal. I I haven't had a bowl of cereal, like Frosted Flakes or any of that shit, in like, I don't even know. It, it, it'd have to be maybe three or four years, so... I guess it's kind of one of those things that you fade out of when you when you get a little bit older. Um, but thank you again for joining me. And uh, today we're going to be talking about a couple of things. Um, uh, we're going to be talking about the Thursday night football game. We're going to be talking about some news coming out of the Big 12 football conference, the Big 12 college uh, football conference. I, I guess the whole entire athletic conference, but that's neither here nor there, I suppose. Um, something Deontay Wilder said, and zebras loose <laughs> in Washington, D.C. Uh, all that is coming up, but thank you. Um, I, I believe I said thank you for listening 15,000 times already, but really it, it means a lot. This is the first episode of this podcast, and I really just am um, really just excited to do this podcast and to uh, bring you guys some words of wisdom and on occasion say some really introspective shit that'll get you thinking um also um please follow me on instagram chance.courtney um literally just chance.courtney it's the name of the show you can't really <laughs> misspell it um, also, follow me on Twitter at ChanceC5. All right, let's get on into it. The Thursday night football matchup was the Bucks versus the Cowboys in Tampa Bay. This game was absolutely phenomenal. Every year we look at what games were the best games of the year, and why wasn't the Super Bowl anywhere near as good as that? Well, this is one of those games, this is one of those games that we're going to look back at when we're in like week 17, week 18, when we're thinking about the best games of the year. And we'll just keep coming back to this game. We'll we'll be saying, oh, man, that was such a close game and it was such a barn burner. It really was a barn burner. Let me let me just say a couple of things. Um, some takeaways that I, I personally got from this is Captain McVegetables is Captain McVegetables. Tom Brady, he, he's... He, I'm stuttering. I I can't really describe what is what has already been said about him, which is he's just phenomenal. He's better than literally everybody else on the field. It's just ridiculous. It's like watching it's like watching lebron james play today it's like watching old clips of michael jordan i of course am too young to have seen michael jordan play but it's it's just noticeable that he's smarter and better than everybody else on the field it's just ridiculous and that last that last drive when uh, tom brady drove him down small pass after small pass and there was a big play and he just called the same out route and threw it out of bounds to Antonio Brown every time to just run out a couple seconds on the clock and that eventually set up the game-winning field goal by Tampa um that that was just chess it really was it was an exploitation of somebody who was inferior it was a exploiting an inferior opponent Um, which you should do every chance you get. And Tom Brady does that, and that's why he's, well, so much better than everybody else. I feel like I've said it a million times already. Um, Mike Evans is absent. Not physically. Physically, he's there. He's on the team. He's on the field. I think he was on the field maybe 95% of all the snaps. But his presence is absent. I think he got he, he got four targets last night for three catches, twenty-four yards. That was terrible. His average uh his average depth of target was about seven yards, which was not good either. He wasn't really running many routes. And it, it is very clear to me at least that they are working Mike Evans out of this offense. And I mean That's not necessarily a bad thing for Tampa Bay. I mean, you watch Antonio Brown. He had, what, six targets for five catches? He had over 100 yards, and he had a touchdown. He played phenomenal, but the big takeaway is Chris Godwin and Gronk are target hogs. They are going to be the guys in this offense. Antonio Brown, he's going to get his. Chris Godwin, he's gonna get his. Gronk, he's gonna get his. Mike Evans. He's just on the field. I mean, you almost didn't even notice that he was there. It, it really. I mean, you can see him the the big body six foot six. he's he's all tattooed. He's bigger than most everybody on the defense. But y- you just couldn't tell that he was there because he wasn't making any plays. Um, and that's just, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of a turn in the tide because, you know, we, some of us drafted him in fantasy football and we expected him to be, you know, a wide receiver one. And really he just looks like a wide receiver three. Um, so enough about Mike Evans, even though Mike Evans is a non-factor Tampa Bay, they looked in incredible. I mean they they had three 100-yard receivers, if not near 100-yard receivers. Tom Brady threw for 400 yards and like four touchdowns. They threw the ball 50 times. This was just an amazing an amazing game. Even though they made so many mistakes. They turned the ball over four times and they still won. That front seven that defensive front seven, it might be, maybe, the best defensive front seven I have ever seen. Vito Veo was constantly getting pressure up the middle. I mean, Connor McGovern, he really couldn't hold a pencil to him. He, he was just getting his cookies ate every single time they went up against each other. And, and I mean, you know... Offensive line versus defensive line, some some give and some take, sure. Uh, but that defensive line, it was just... It, it, was, it was really good. And it was just too much for this Cowboys offensive line. Who, who I think that they're going to be really solid this year. I mean, without Zach Martin, no, they are not what they should be. But they are still... These still look like a solid offensive line even though they did give i believe they gave up one sack and constant pressures to this Tampa Bay defense um but yeah i mean Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barrett, Shaq Barrett's the the one who got the sack everybody's just just a killer um but but one good takeaway, several good takeaways for Dallas Dare I say Dallas is really good this year. I mean Dallas Dallas might make the playoffs. They really might. They are so good. Dak he is what we saw he was last year. He's accurate. He has great instincts. Amazing pocket awareness. Great arm strength. Great IQ. Dak Prescott will be an MVP candidate this year because they will likely keep getting into these kinds of firefights if they don't start to run the ball. We'll get to the run the ball part (laughs) in a second. Um this this wide receiver duo of Amari Cooper and C D Lamb, this is phenomenal. This is just fantastic. They work so well together, and they're both phenomenal. I mean, the things that they both can do in space, it truly is remarkably impressive. And to have two elite playmakers who are elite in space as much as they are while they're running routes, it's just overkill. And Dallas is going to get a lot of use out of them this year. And I mean, as they should. They really should. Um, they should give them <laughs> most of the targets. You, you know, if, if you're an offensive guy, you want to get the ball in the best player on the field's hands. Well, there's two incredible playmakers on offense who can do pretty much whatever you ask of them. They're both really good at route running. Amari Cooper more so now. Than C.D. Lamb, as of now, because of Ari Cooper, he, he's he been there, done that. Yeah, it's this wide receiver, th- this entire wide receiver group. Michael Gallup, he looked good. Um, by the way, Michael Gallup out to um, a calf strain for three to five weeks. Um, very, very upsetting news for him. Um, but he, when he's back, he's he will have a... Great game. They have a they have another wide receiver. He was number one. He he had a great game too, nonetheless. Oh my gosh. Um Jalen Mickens. Jaden Mickens, number eighty five for Tampa Bay. I'm glad I remember this. He looked absolutely phenomenal. I mean, as a returner, he made he made the most plays I had ever seen anybody make as a returner in a football game well i mean that that's a bit of a stretch he didn't run one back to the house he damn near almost did but but not quite um so yeah he had a phenomenal game pretty much everybody for tampa had a good game except for mike evans and the one fumble by ronald jones which leaded to him being benched for the rest of the game as bruce Arians does um in and if we're being real here Dallas probably should have won that game Dallas definitely should have won that game in fact they are exactly they're exactly seven points three missed opportunities away from winning that game yes of course I'm talking about the kicker missed a field goal missed another field goal given the other field goal was 60 yards for shy of an NFL record still missed a field goal and he missed an extra point an extra point that's that's supposed to be a gimme dallas should have put up 36 points but instead they put up 29 and i'm i mean you you even saw the demeanor in dallas that or in the dallas team in in, in all the players they knew they were in trouble when there was an entire minute left after they kicked a field goal. And they had to give the ball back to Tom Brady. Um, but, yeah. I, I mean, the, the Dallas defense, they look fantastic. They really looked incredible last night. There was this one play that Trayvon Diggs made where he was maybe three or four yards away from Mike Evans. He jumped I mean, he he was so far away from Mike Evans. He jumped and tipped the ball, and it looked like he was floating in air. It looked like he was flying. Like, he went full his airness for the ball. It, it was just a remarkably athletic play. That was probably the most athletic play I had seen all night long. Now, I, I mentioned we were going to get to the running game. Yes, the running game for Dallas, it was terrible. You're not going to get a lot against that front seven this year. But Zeke, I don't think he had a bad game. I really don't. Despite the statistics. Look, he, he was bad in the run game, yes. They only ran the ball with him 10 times for, let's say, you, 29 yards. Uh, Two catches for six yards. Um, Those aren't desirable numbers but countless times pretty much almost every single play he was in pass protection Zeke Elliott did a phenomenal job picking up blitzing linebackers and that is one of the most important jobs the running back has blocking blitzing backers that come unblocked that that's one of the hardest things a running back can do but it's damn sure the most important Um, One player I specifically want to highlight is uh, Demarcus Lawrence. Demarcus Lawrence, he he and Tristan Wirfs really went after it last night. They really did. Um, Pro Football Focus posted a grade for him of 91.4. I mean, how impressive is that? He was the highest graded defensive player in the game. He was constantly putting the pressure on constant pressure, tackles for loss. He was just, he had one hell of a game. Transitioning to our next topic. I'm sorry you hear this paper crinkling. Um, so there are four new teams in the Big 12. I mean, how exciting is that, isn't it? Um, this statement is from SportsCenter. Uh, Friday, Big 12 chancellors and presidents voted to accept BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF into the Big 12. Not only that, it was approved unanimously with all eight continuing schools voting for yes. This will begin in the year, or in the season, 2023 and 2024. Wow. I mean, this this news... It, I think it this is important because there will there will constantly be new contenders for the big 12 championship every year. I mean, you look at Cincinnati and what they've been building over the past five years it's just unprecedented oh well, it's not unprecedented, but they've been building quite a program themselves Houston as well UCF they they've had some phenomenal years uh in this these past five years. BYU get this. BYU now has the largest stadium in Big Twelve football and basketball. Their football stadium capacity is sixty-three point seven thousand attendees and their basketball stadium capacity is eighteen point nine thousand attendees. Iowa State football comes in second with the football stadium with sixty-one point five thousand, and Kansas basketball comes in second for the basketball stadiums at sixteen point three thousand. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um so so what does this mean? Well, with Oklahoma and Texas leaving for the SEC to claim their uh yearly loss to Alabama, or Florida, or Georgia, or LSU, or Texas A&M, this means the Big 12 will be a lot more volatile than it has in years past. You'll probably see Cincinnati win one year. You'll probably see OSU win one year. Maybe TCU and UCF will be in the championship game there I'll make a prediction there won't be a back to back champion of the big 12 for 20 years. I mean, it'll probably be really volatile for the next for for the foreseeable future as as long as we're talking. Um, by the way, I was on Twitter earlier, and a lot of people are somewhat upset that Memphis, got into the Big 12, or, <laughs> I, I, I can't even speak. A lot of people are upset that UCF got into the Big 12 over Memphis. And a lot of people think Memphis is being disregarded, cast away. But I, I, I can see the argument. I have some, some statistics ready for me. So over the past five years, here is a Memphis record. 2016 they went 8 and 5 and they lost in the Boca Raton Bowl, fucking Boca Raton Bowl. <laughs> in 2017 they went 10 and 3, lost in the Liberty Bowl. 2018 they went 8 and 6 and they lost in the Birmingham Bowl. Oh my goodness. I just moved the mic with my hand. Oh, that was scary. In 2019 it was their best year. They went 12 and 2 and they lost in the Cotton Bowl. They still played in the Cotton Bowl. How impressive is that? And in 2020, last year, they won in the Montgomery Bowl, and they went 8-3. and three. Now, in the past five years, here's what UCF has done. 2016, they went 6-3, and three and they lost in the Auto Nation Bowl. I don't even know what that is. 2017, they won the Peach Bowl. They finished the year 13-0 and and claimed a fake national championship. Um the following year they went 12 and 1 and they lost in the Fiesta Bowl and that was the famous game where Joe Burrow got laid out and people were saying how the hit that pretty much knocked him almost out of the game changed who he was as a quarterback that's a funny joke if you don't think it's funny you're probably stupid <laughs> um 2019 they went 10 and 3 and went to a bowl game and won and i don't know the name of it and i couldn't pronounce it <laughs> and in 2020 they went 6 and 4 and lost in the Boca Raton bowl so memphis they're far less volatile they are far more consistent in terms of win totals i mean 8 10 8 12 8 And they started this year 1-0. I see the argument for Memphis. But I do not think they should be in the Big 12 over UCF. I think UCF has grown as a brand over the past few years, more so than Memphis has. And I think if I were, say, if I were the Big 12 and you had to make me choose over Memphis or UCF, I'd, I'd probably do the same. I'd probably pick UCF to let into the conference over Memphis because UCF, they've just been way more marketable <laughs> over the past however many years, um, ever since they won that fake national championship. Yes, I say fake because they didn't really win the national championship that year, and it is absolutely hilarious that they think they did. Um, I do think, however... Memphis should be in some conference. Like, put them, take Vandy out and put him in the SEC, or uh, take somebody out and put him in the ACC, or expand the conferences, even. Um, I think that would be very beneficial to everybody uh, because Memphis is a really, really good team. They've been producing incredible NFL talent over the past few years, and it's just phenomenal to see what they have done. All right, our third topic today is about Deontay Wilder. He was recently interviewed, and he had some weird stuff to say. I mean, it depends on what you consider weird. Uh, I'll, I'll just read it, and you can decide for yourself. All right, Deontay Wilder says, I've got great kids. I got no problems. But I tell all of my girls... If you got boyfriends, I got to meet them. They got to spar with me at least three rounds so I know they can protect my daughter. That quote was provided by the MACLife on Instagram. What the fuck? <laughs> Who in their right mind would willingly date Deontay Wilder's daughter knowing that they would have to spar against him in order to date them? That's ridiculous. Here's here's um, something interesting. Deontay Wilder's professional boxing record is 42 wins, one loss, and one draw. 42 wins. Oh, how did he get those 42 wins? Oh, here's how I got him. Um, 40 knockouts. He has 40 knockouts, 40 career knockouts. You want some kid? To go three rounds, three three three-minute rounds, with a heavyweight champion whose nickname is the Bronze Bomber. Nobody gives you a nickname that involves any kind of explosive unless you have lights-out punching power. That's just the most absurdest thing I've ever heard. But, I mean, I, I, I get it, you know? I get it, you know? Uh, if if I was Deontay Wilder, I would probably say the same thing. I'm not Deontay Wilder, though. I can't knock people out with one punch. I've never tried it, but I, I'm, I'm very confident that I can't just boop, boop, right hand, left hand, uppercut, send somebody to the shadow realm. Like, I'm not confident in my ability to do that. I think if I were in the situation... If it were my child, I'd probably just say, "Hey, treat my daughter right," blah blah blah. Not, "Hey, get in the ring with me. I'm gonna beat the shit out of you." So, that's that. Here, here are some comments I found on Instagram, though. Uh, somebody said, "Daughter is gonna be single. I guess. Very, very much so." <laughs> and 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 here was a jab at. Uh, here here was a jab at Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury taking his daughters out. I guess. Okay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Here's something really awesome about uh, Deontay Wilder. So, Deontay Wilder started boxing in order to uh, provide for his family, blah, blah, blah. We, we all know the Deontay Wilder story. But it's incredible just how much money he's made. His total career earnings total $70 million. Seventy. His total net worth for last year and the only numbers available for this year, um, forty-six million dollars. Forty-six million dollars. That's remarkable. I I would be on top of the world if it were me in that situation. I if I were him, probably retire from boxing. You know, I made my bag, started a couple companies you know everybody's got trusts we're all good but i i guess he really wants to make more money from this third fight with tyson fury by the way wilder fury rematch is on october 9th so mark your calendars everybody (laughs) okay in our fourth and final topic of the day um is about something ridiculously strange, something I can't quite describe as to how strange it is. Let me let me know what you think. So, a congresswoman by the name of Eleanor Holmes Norton issued a statement today denying responsifi- responsibility for letting loose six zebras that have been on the run in the D.C. suburbs. Here's a quote. Here's the statement that she released. Local news has reported that the zebras were set loose last weekend on Saturday or Sunday, a period of time during which I was enjoying quiet time at my home with my family. My alibi is solid. (laughs) What... The fuck? First of all, nobody asked. Second, she definitely did that shit. What do you mean (laughs) you have a solid alibi? Look, if you even have to issue a statement talking about how you didn't let loose these zebras, that means you did. (laughs) I mean... It is what it is. I mean, you ever heard of who whoever smelt it, dealt it? I mean, I know at least 73.5% of the people listening to this right now have farted before and blamed it on somebody else. I know that. That's a fact. I've done it. Somebody else has done it. Everybody's done that shit. Oh, man. <laughs> that is... That is ridiculous. And in the, in the article, I believe the article uh, at the bottom said, uh, editor's note, the author of this story also did not set the zebras free. Um, what? <laughs> uh they also said the zebras are currently living their lives in people's backyards, along roads in Prince George's County. Um, well, I think, uh, what we learned from this story is that, uh, people in DC are running out of shit to talk about. Really? <laughs> uh, and I promise you this show won't get very political. Um, but, but when it involves zebras on the loose, when it involves a congresswoman denying publicly that she let loose zebras, though nobody asked, I think it's worthy of being talked about. Thank you guys so much for joining me, and I'll see you in the next one. Take care and goodbye.